So today I'm going to be talking about the presence of God. What do I mean by the presence of God? <clears throat> it's that moment when God arrives in a situation, in a room, in it may be location, it may just be a situation, maybe a time when you are in absolutely no doubt that you are in the presence of Almighty God. And when you think about who God is and what he's capable of, that's quite a daunting thing, actually, because he is the almighty, everlasting creator of the universe. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He is the ultimate. He's the ultimate. And he's come to see you, or me. What does that feel like? What is the situation like? What effect does that have on our lives? And with the presence of God, it's one of those times where you kind of know it's him. And it's not a question of, oh, was that really God? Or was that just a sort of mirage or a, a nice feeling? There's something about it that leaves you in no doubt. I remember Tony Campolo, the preacher in America, once had a moment when uh, a lady asked, her to, asked him to pray for her son. And he had a very debilitating condition, which meant he, he couldn't walk very easily. And um, he started praying a prayer for this boy. And... It was one of those, he says, one of those phony prayers that you sometimes find yourself praying. Oh, Lord, our God, thou great, you know, uh, mighty potentate who art in the sky or something or other. And then suddenly he stopped. He shut up because God arrived in the room. And he actually stopped praying because at that point the prayer was getting in the way of the presence. It's a wonderful moment. Tony is very sort of humble about it because, you know, he was just one of those, he really felt inadequate praying for this young boy, who incidentally got powerfully healed. But he realized it was nothing to do with what he said or did. It was the presence that arrived in the room. And it was one of those moments he said, you just can't, he didn't want to talk because God was there. It was a sense of awe and wonder and joy as well and peace, overwhelming peace, where you kind of feel the creator of the universe says, I got this. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about that today. Um, we may have a bit of music, I don't know if we have time. Um, incidentally, my, uh, the screen on my um, iPad is this little man. He's quite the most wonderful little chap you'll ever meet. I change it regularly because his, his, his funny, his face changes regularly. He's, he's always, you know, pulling different faces or a lot of times he's asleep, so. But on Father's Day, it's quite wonderful to be a granddad. Oh. So, heart squeeze. It's a funny thing because God... When God arrives, it's not always in that massive, tremendous, awesome, quiet, powerful thing. Sometimes it's just a squeeze of the heart. And you sort of know it's him. 
he does this a lot with me at the moment. He's, I was listening to Mark Baden's talk a couple of weeks ago. We weren't here, so I listened to it. I, I walk the Good Maze Park and take loads of photos, as some of you will know. And I listen to podcasts, and I was listening to Mark's talk. And some, some point in that talk, God gave me a squeeze of my heart. And it's a moment that I treasure because as, as I do, as that happens to me, it's his way of saying, I'm here, I love you. You're wonderful, my son. And I don't always find it easy to know God as a father. My own relationship with my father was not the most intimate in the world. And yet, it's that moment he squeezes my heart. And sometimes it makes me laugh. Sometimes, more often than not, it makes me well up, as my family will attest. There was one particular song I used to sing, um, I used to listen to, and it was the one after the Lion of Judah on the, on the Bethel record that we sang this morning. So one after that, it's a song by Jonathan David and Melissa Helzer. I'll be talking about it later. Every time I heard that song, my heart got squeezed by God. Different points of the song, different words, and God would squeeze my heart and say, I love you. And it's a really, really powerful, overwhelming thing, but actually really gentle and very every day. So this morning I was listening to Blinded by Your Grace by Stormzy. It's a song I love to listen to. Um, the acoustic version with Ed Sheeran. And, uh, you know, I'm not really up with the modern music these days, but something about that song really communicates God's love to me. And every time I hear it, I get the squeeze of God on my heart. So let's look at the Bible bits. Moses was a man who was no stranger to the presence of God. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Moses would return to the camp, but his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, didn't leave the tent. That's an interesting point. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me to lead these people, but you haven't let me know whom you're going to send with me. You've said, I know you by name and you've found favor with me. So if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not, presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. So Moses was absolutely unequivocal. He was totally sure he didn't want to do anything without God's presence. As one speaks to a friend, do you speak to God as a friend? Is it an everyday thing? Do you speak to God when you have stickers stuck to the back of your head by your two-and-a-half-year-old grandson? That's as holy a situation as so many others. You know, we don't need cathedrals, like John was saying. We don't need fancy. We just need to know God's presence wherever we are. <clears throat> if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. I've got good news for you this morning. God wants to bring his presence on a regular basis to us as individuals and corporately. And he is leading us into a season of knowing his presence more and more. I had a conversation with a Christian friend of mine. She was really struggling with the whole healing thing. And I can understand that because sometimes it's baffling. We don't understand it. Why some people get healed, others don't. And she said, it seems like some people are obsessed with healing. And I thought, I'm not obsessed with healing. I want to be obsessed with the presence. Because in the presence there is healing. And there is comfort when healing doesn't always happen. 
God's presence brings transformation. It brings peace. It brings joy and laughter. Do you remember the conference a few years ago? Alan Fitch said, I'm having some of that, and off he went, completely flawed. God's presence was with us powerfully, with joy and laughter. It brings healing. It brings creativity. And it brings a new perspective of life. Sometimes you spend a second in God's presence, and you think, oh, that issue I was struggling with, that fear I had, is no longer relevant. Suddenly I get it. Father is with me. We're going to talk to various people and about their experiences of God's presence. Avril? She's forgotten. <laughs> it's okay, I'll ask you questions. Very briefly. She's been to number 10. She's tired. She's had to talk to, you know, prime ministers and presidents and queens and whatnot. So, Avril, a few years ago, you were very critically ill in hospital. And uh, it wasn't funny then. <laughs> we're laughing now because Avril's here. But she was really, really seriously unwell. And we'd, we'd, we'd kind of run out of ideas and thoughts. But meanwhile, when Avril was in the hospital, something very powerful happened in your room. Tell us a bit about that. It was at a time when the church had decided to pray for me 24 hours a day. It was a very serious situation. They weren't really, doctors weren't sure whether I'd live or die. And the church felt to, in shifts for people to pray 24 hours a day. Before that, I'd been very troubled and a lot of pain. I was having hallucinations from the drugs. So just really, really quite a horrible time. And as people started to pray, something changed in me. I just, I just found the presence of God. But the really weird thing was um, the nurses, particularly during the night, when they were having their break, they'd say, oh, because I was in my own room because I had some MRSA thing. And the nurses would come in and say, I'm just going to have a break in here. Do you mind? <laughs> and I'm like... That's fine. Why? And they just said, I just like it in here. It's just very peaceful and just very restful. And that was for like a, a number of weeks. They would just talk about this. And often I had opportunity to talk to them about what God was doing for me and the way he was meeting me in the difficulty. Fantastic. Thank you. That's really funny. I love that. I mean, you know... It's funny how in really critical situations God can appear and you have a situation which is really difficult and yet God arrives and there's an element of humour as people sort of have the break in Avril's room. I just want to sit here. It's really, it's really lovely. But God was there and God's presence was saying to Avril, this is horrible, I know, but I'm here. I got this. Nicky Gumbel says, if you love somebody... What you long for more than anything else is that person's presence with you. Photos are a comfort. Telephone calls, emails and texts are nice. Letters are good. Skype and FaceTime are always great ways to communicate. Yet nothing can compare to actually spending time with that person. King David was no stranger again to the presence. Where could I go from your spirit? Psalm 139, 7 to 12. Where could I go from your spirit? Where can I run to hide from your face? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the realm of the dead, you're there too. If I fly with wings into the shining dawn, you're there. If I fly into the radiant sunset, you're all there waiting. Wherever I go, your hand will guide me. Your strength will empower me. It's impossible to disappear from you or ask the darkness to hide me. For your presence is everywhere, bringing light into my night. 
There is no such thing as darkness with you. The night to you is as bright as day. There's no difference between the two. And so what he's saying here is, yes, you are there all the time, but there are times, too, when I'm more aware than ever that you are there. You're there. You're there. You're there. You're there. You will. You are. You do. God is on our side. And part of the way he shows that, as he showed to the Israelites when they went into battle, he went before them as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They couldn't do anything without his presence. And Moses became addicted to the presence of God. He wanted to spend all his time there. There's a, po- a, a moment in uh, one of the books of the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, where a load of people are grumbling against Moses. They're really having a go. And they're accusing him to his face of all sorts of horrible, nasty things, falsely. And he's at the end of himself. He doesn't know what to say. But he doesn't reply. He doesn't react. He doesn't fight back. No, what he does is he goes into the presence of God instead and said, God, you deal with this. God does. Jeremy. Happy Father's Day, Jim. (laughs) Happy anniversary. Thank you. (laughs) Happy anniversary, too. It's uh, a year. So, Jeremy, um, a few years ago, you were asked to uh, house-sit for some friends, the McKernans. Tell us what happened. Yeah, so the McKernans were going away um, for a week, and they asked me to house it. And at that particular point in time, I think it was the summer of 2013, God was doing something in me quite significant, and he was really uh, building a hunger in me for himself. And so my first thought when I was offered a house that was, Oh my goodness, that, that's amazing. A whole week, I can just spend the entire time with God. That's, that's great. Like when I wake up, I'll be able to spend time with God. When I, I come back from work, I'll be able to spend time with God. And it'd just be me and God. That'd be amazing. I'm just so excited at this prospect of, of spending a week with him. What was Checking. that like? I mean, God taught me so many things during that week. And I really look back on that week as just such a, a time when he just... just did some stuff in my heart, did some work in my heart. But a real significant thing that stood out was um, I was really looking to him kind of in the run-up to that time for just a revelation of his fatherhood. And mm. I think it was the, the day that I, I kind of moved in to the McKernans and I was just praying to God on my own. I was, you know, in the morning I was like, Father, you know, I want to know more of you and Father this, Father that. And I just felt like I was stopped in my tracks and I couldn't sort of express anymore um i I come to the end of the words i could use and so i just stopped and i just heard god say call me dad just into that moment of silence and i'd never really considered it before i'd always just you know use the word father but then then i just suddenly heard this you know call me dad so i was like okay you know and thought about it and i kind of thought well i don't call anyone father i don't call my natural dad father um, when I think of people using the word father, I think of kind of 1940s school children. Um, <laughs> so it just this idea, call me dad. And then I went to youth in the evening and we watched a film called Father of Light, which looks at this issue. But there's a particular guy in it. It's a Christian film. 
and um, he's called Ravi, he's an Indian Christian, and the thing that, that distinguishes him is he calls God Daddy, so he goes around calling God Daddy, and I'd never seen this before, and on the day that God had dropped that into my mind, mm. I then see it in a film, I'm like, hmm, this is interesting. So one of the things I carried into that week was just calling God Dad, and something happened as I stepped into that, that intimacy, that closeness, knowing him as an actual dad that I could relate to, not this far-off father, he just, he gave me a revelation, and there was a, a moment later on in that week, I think it was the day that I was leaving, that I found this little white devotional book on the McKernan's kitchen surface. I was like, okay, that's interesting. And I looked at it, and I, I kind of opened it up, and it was just different bits of the Bible kind of broken down into chunks. And I, my eyes just fell on this one passage, which I started reading. It was the Lord's Prayer, and the guy was explaining that the word for fathers that Jesus used in Aramaic was the word Abba. And that this was a relational term um, that was often used by young children to refer to their dad, a bit like daddy. And it was just God speaking at the end of that week, this is what I'm showing you, this is what I'm teaching to you in this time. And I've carried it with me ever since, and it's just become a reference point. Thank you. Abba. Abba, 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 Abba. It's funny, um, I think it was, I can't remember one speaker I was listening to recently who said he was on an Air Israel flight and um, he saw this little Jewish boy running up and down, running up and down, shrieking, Abba, 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 look at me, Dad, look at me, Dad. And he thought, wow, Abba, they really do they still use that word. And the one who taught us was, of course, Jesus. Matthew fourteen twenty three. After the crowds dispersed, Jesus went up into the hills to pray, and as night fell, he was there praying alone with God. He was a man who knew how to tap into the presence of God immediately, and he also knew that he needed to be alone with God at times. The context of this verse is when John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, had just been murdered by the uh, authorities, and uh, brutally, brutally horrible murder. And Jesus was shocked. Everyone was shocked. I think Jesus probably knew he was going to die. His cousin was going to die, but he didn't necessarily know how or when. And boom, it happened. And he was, he was upset. What did he do? He went and ministered to thousands of people. He talked to them. He taught them. He healed them of their diseases. He fed them. But he was tired. And he, when he was tired, he went up into the hills and prayed to his father, Abba. Pete Gregg is a writer I read a lot at the moment. He's a, a guy who leads the 24-7 prayer movement in the UK at the moment. And uh, he, his books are very readable, but they're all about praying and uh, really make it exciting. Christ's consuming zeal, he says, was not so much for a prayer house as it was for my father's house. He was motivated not by the religious activity of prayer, but by, rather by love for his father's presence. Um, Toby's church up in Sunderland, the mayor of Sunderland says, something changes when I sit here. What's that about? Well, his church have a 24-7 room, prayer room, where people go and they do a shift. And uh, it might be a two-hour shift, maybe shorter, maybe longer. And basically, they sit in God's presence. And you think, well, do you just sit in silence? What do you do? Well, in Pete Gregg's books, he explains what sort of things you do. But you can paint, you can draw, you can be creative, you can sing. There's a lot of music involved. Um, 
you can wait in his presence, you can read the Bible, you can read books, you can... And, and sometimes when they have meetings, uh, children come along as well, and they play games while people are just worshipping God. It's quite informal. But the mayor of Sunderland, I don't think she's a follower of Jesus yet, but she loves going to the prayer room at uh, their house of prayer and says, something changes when I sit here. She has that sense of the presence of God. Sometimes music plays a key role. It does in my life. And that's something that King David understood. Do you remember the story when Saul, the king, was tormented by a nasty spirit, uh, the Bible says? He was really going through a rough time and actually trying to pin David to the wall with spears. But anyway, David, meanwhile, just played his harp. And he was an amazing harpist. Um, I guess he would have had a record deal if he'd been alive today. But he had this beautiful harp that sounded amazing and quieted Saul's soul. To such an extent that Saul was able to rest and actually say, sorry David, I was out of order then. And it was just the harp playing brought in the presence of God. You can be a fantastic musician, but you don't have to play necessarily anything very fancy. Mark, a uh, guy who sort of oversees the worship and the music here at uh, Lifeline Church, we had a very interesting time at a conference a few years back, a worship conference, and I decided to go to one of the sessions, and Mark decided to go to a different one. So as far as that went, me and Richard November, uh, Dave and Nick Burr, they went to one seminar. We stayed in the main worship room thinking we're going to have a fantastic time now just worshipping God. Full professional band up on the stage. Probably 150 worship leaders in the room at the time. The guy gets up and plays one note on his bass. And still to this day, I don't know what happened. <laughs> Seriously. The presence of God just entered that room we couldn't move, you couldn't talk, you couldn't interact. I was propping Richard up, Richard was propping me up. Most of all, like complete vegetables all standing in there like that. I mean, seriously, you just couldn't do anything at all. The guy got off the stage, because that's about all he could do, and this woman crawled on her hands and knees up to the stage, and she sang the most amazing song of lament is the only thing I can call it and you heard God's heart expressed like I've never heard before 45 minutes later the doors burst open and in come the rest of the group from the other seminar and they thought what on earth has happened in here because it was absolute like carnage by which point we just sort of said for the rest of the day and that day, that, to me, God can do what he wants to do, how he wants to do it. Yeah, We are mere human beings. When he chooses to turn up like that and stop me from speaking, stop us from singing, stop us from performing or listening to worship, he does something amazing. And that day has always stuck with me that I know that he is real because I've been in the same room as him. Fantastic. Who remembers that moment from the same, seminar, uh, same conference where we had the laughter 
Stephen was playing his viola. He plays his viola, it sounds wonderful, but there's something powerful happened when he was playing. A real sense of God's presence coming into the room. So much so that certain young people saw angels. Um, It's a very powerful thing when God moves. And you can't always measure the outcome. I'll come back to that point. It's really frustrating because you say, God, it was amazing. We're different. And you say, well, how? Are you taller? Do you sleep for five minutes longer every night? On a scale of one to ten, how, how do you score? What's the, you know, what's the confidence interval? What's the, you know, how, how do we measure this statistically? You can't. God is frustrating sometimes. For people like me who like to measure things, I like to measure things. I like to know how much they, you know, I like to know if someone progresses through a sociological intervention. I write reports about this stuff. Thousands of thousands of words. Pointless, because sometimes God just comes and stuff happens. And sometimes people are healed, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're transformed, sometimes they're not. Sometimes there's peace, sometimes there's joy, sometimes... There's a sense of lament, like Mark was saying, where you just know God loves us and he wants us to move from where we are to another place. So there's a couple in North Carolina called Jonathan David and Melissa Helzer, fantastic worship leaders and songwriters. They they wrote uh, The Longest Slave to Fear, I Am a Child of God. And she has an amazing testimony. And they wrote... um, this song about what happens when God comes to visit us when we pray, which, you know, sometimes we know he's there, sometimes we don't know he's there. We just carry on praying in faith because it doesn't necessarily feel any different. But this song is amazing because God then flipped it round. I'll explain what I mean. Can we have that song? It's on the film. For 
It's uh, a powerful thing. You show up in splendor and you change the whole room. God's love is furious and powerful. You can pause it. And what's interesting about this song is you show up in splendor and you change the whole room. Because Jonathan David Helzer was singing that at some point, and God said, hang on a second, you don't see it from my perspective. Whenever you choose to come and pray, whenever you choose to sit in my presence, you show up in splendor, and you change my whole room. You can change the throne room of God by walking into it. And God loves it when you do that. We can experience the presence of God, but he too can experience the presence of you. And that's an awesome thing for God. We can't measure that. We can't say, I don't know how he feels. I, I know when I feel his, a sense of his presence, the squeeze of my heart, but... We can change God's throne room by walking in and saying, Baba. We encounter the presence of God for a purpose. It is to be changed, but it's also to give away our goodies. Do you remember last week, John was talking about all the things that God gives us, our goodies. He had a bag of goodies. But he said, we need to give those away. We can't hold on to them. It's not just about having it for ourselves. It's about sharing it with the nurses in the room who need to come and have their break. Amanda. I get only the best speakers to help me out here. (laughs) She hates it when I say that. So tell me about when the music... Uh, made a difference in our particular battles. Um, Okay, so some of you will remember our family story, um, but a particular moment and season that sticks out for me, which has changed my life from then onwards, was when um, it was that thing of deciding to invite God to change what we could naturally see, how we naturally felt. So we might have been brokenhearted, we might have been disillusioned, we might have been fearful. Um, And in particular, this was when Toby was in a very um, disturbing place, uh, very fearful, very anxious, and his mental health wasn't good. It was hard to live with. But God showed us that if we chose, despite those circumstances, to come into his presence, sing, worship when we least felt like it, when we felt we didn't have anything to bring. It's when Peter first picked up his guitar, and we thought, this is a bit weird, the family kind of sitting around in the living room. We hadn't done that before. 
but the presence of God came. And for us, it was changing what was natural and normal, all the stuff that we were concerned about, and helping us to see in that moment when his presence came, we could see it from his perspective. Um, what's that song? The, um, that, that line? I forgot what it was. Um, Oh, it change, this changes everything, this changes that's it, everything. yeah. You know that song we used to sing, This Changes Everything. So in that moment, it shifts our perspective uh, to what God can do, who he is, the truth of what that is, rather than those natural circumstances that we're facing. Amen. Thank you. It does. It changes everything. You can't be the same after encountering God. A experience in his presence changes you for life. Um, again, it's not always easy to measure, but that's one of those delightful things. Heidi Baker, great woman of God, currently living in Mozambique, says, developing a life in God's presence above all else is the only way to fulfill our God-given destinies. Keys to our callings are released when we spend time there. And as I was talking about not being able to measure this stuff, Pete Gregg puts it very nicely. As a natural activist, I don't find this easy. I tend to want the authority without the intimacy, the power without the hidden hours, enjoying the Father's presence. I'm ashamed to admit that my tendency in prayer is to rush through the preliminaries, our Father, to get down to the real business of thy kingdom come and give us this day. I tend to justify prayer by its results and want to prove to the world, perhaps even in this book, that it is productive, that it works, that it is not a total waste of time. Do you remember one of the things Mark said when he spoke a couple of weeks ago? Really struck out, stuck out to me. Because when, I, when you work for yourself, when you're self-employed or you run your own company you kind of have to keep the rabbit wheel going, the, the hamster wheel going, in order to make ends meet, in order to keep earning. You've got to keep going out there and winning the business and pulling it in. And it's a bit of a, a thing, and it's so easy. I've started to begin my work at 8 o'clock because I work from home so I can. But it's so easy for that to then, 7.30, while I'm eating my breakfast, phone calls happen, things come in. <coughs> And uh, I remember once trying to have a little time with God and my phone went off and it was an important call from someone who I do business with and so I had to take the call. But then I thought, yeah, I need to leave my phone out the room. Slow down. Take time out. It's something I need to hear because it's so easy to get caught up in the hurry and the rush especially when you're dependent on the hurry and the rush to live. Pete Gregg says, there isn't a single biblical character used significantly by God who did not have a life-changing encounter in his presence. So where does that leave us today? Who's hungry here today? Who wants some more of this? You may have had some already. Maybe you've never... Maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> If you really don't, talk to me afterwards. I'm glad, be glad to talk about it. But we hunger for God's presence, for more of him, for more real encounters. Why? Because sometimes we are faced with huge situations and we don't know the answers to them, but he does. 
He knows us intimately. He knows us inside out, beginning and end. He sang over us. We sang in that song earlier on, before we could even speak. He was singing songs over us. We sing. We love music. It's a wonderful Abba song called Thank You For The Music, The Songs I'm Sieving. You know, uh, thanks for the joy they're bringing. Who can live without it? I ask in all honesty, what would life be without a song and dance where we... Whoever invented music, they say, thank you. Well, we know who invented music because he sings over us every day. Who's hungry for the presence? Who's hungry for more of him? Bill Johnson tells a story. Uh, He goes into a shop near where he lives and he's been going in there quite regularly or he was when he told this particular story it was a new age shop full of very strange sort of dream catchers and wizardy things and symbols that he didn't understand and it was all a bit spooky and weird and odd but he used to like going in there not to buy anything but just to pray and uh, the proprietor caught hold of him once as he was about to leave and said, excuse me, can I have a word with you? You come in here and you don't buy anything. That's fine. That's cool. I don't mind that. But whenever you come in, something changes in the atmosphere. What's going on? You see, he had become a living carrier of the presence of God. So there are two strands to what I'm going to ask you to think about now. One Do you want more of the presence? Do you want to experience him more? Do you want to know that peace, that joy, that transformation experience? Secondly, do you want to be someone who carries the presence of God wherever you are? You may not know that you do that. You may just smile at someone and make their day, in inverted commas, but actually that brings the presence of God to them that day. Thank you.